Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Lauren, Justin and Millie. This week we're looking back on National Science Week, which occurred in the middle of August. There was unfortunate news about one of Australia's most esteemed science journalists, Peter Pockley. Um, We're taking a look at the Illuminations Art Gallery that opened at the National Centre for Synchrotron Science. Taking a look at citizen science and... And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. Now, first off, in sad news, the very well-esteemed Peter Pockley has passed away at age 78 in his house in um, Sydney. Peter Pockley is well known for being the founding head of the ABC Science Department in the 60s. Um, He ran Radio National's science show on the radio for a a couple of decades, and he was a recipient of the 2010 Australian Academy of Science Medal for advancing the cause of science and technology in Australia. Dr. Pockley graduated from the University of Melbourne, completing a Bachelor of Science and getting first-class honours in chemistry, after which he taught for a while before going over to Oxford University in um, England and getting a PhD in geology. Now, in the 60s, he became one of the first scientists to work full-time as a science reporter, which has since become a job that many have taken up. In fact, he was one of the key contributors to, initially, um, ANZUS's Search magazine, which was then incorporated into um, the currently going Australasian Science magazine. He also set up the science unit for ABC TV and radio and the the program Insight, which actually now today goes under the name Occam's Razor, which you can listen to, as well as The World of Tomorrow, which is the predecessor to The Science Show, which is hosted by Robin Williams now. So he was also a very, very esteemed broadcaster at the ABC as well, as both a producer and an on-air host. Especially, he covered the broadcasts of, by the ABC of the Apollo moon landings that were in, broadcast in Australia. Dr. Pockley was an esteemed member of the Australian science communication community, and he will very much be missed. He has contributed a huge amount to the Australian science scene. And he really set the template and mould for all of us aspiring science communicators to really live up to and strive towards. So he will be missed. Screaming hordes of fangirls lining the streets of major routes and thoroughfares just to get a glimpse, nay, hear the voice of the esteemed rock star celebrity, former pop singer and brilliant astrophysicist Brian Cox, who graced Melbourne for National Science Week and a number of other cities in Australia. So, Amelia, tell us a bit about what was going on with your favourite science communicator journalist, Brian Cox. Now, Brian Cox has been to Australia before. As we've said in previous episodes, Australia is a huge centre for astrophysics because of the huge amount of land that we have that doesn't have a lot of radio noise. But Brian Cox wasn't here to do science. He was, in fact, here to tell us about some of the science that's being done. Dr Brian Cox was here to speak to audiences about astrophysics and where it's going and how we're looking at um, trying to discover the origins of the universe and how the Big Bang started. Um, this is related to a lot of the work that's being done by the square kilometre, well, is going to be done by the square kilometre away once it's finished being built. And as well as just being pretty dreamy, I mean, have you heard his voice? He is, it's like velvet. Could be better. We're from New Jersey. Um, now, Brian Cox is a very 
uh, qualified astrophysicist who was doing actual cutting-edge research. Though he has a few skeletons in his closet, in the early 90s, uh, he was a, an aspiring pop star. He actually did record one or two singles. Things can only get better. Okay, thank you, Millie, for can that rendition. Get better. Okay, thank you, Millie. You... When I found you. Okay, that was one of his songs. Just as, as... okay, thank you, Millie. Uh, <laughs> but aside from being quite dreamy, a dreamboat, uh, a hunk pop star, he's also a really good communicator of complicated scientific ideas, and he's a perfect ambassador for National Science Week as well because he'll go around and explain really complicated ideas and make science not be something that's nerdy or done by weird people out in. Uh, mysterious laboratories but by talented and also really um affable people and who can charm people into actually considering scientists make normal easy and accessible for them to care about and focus on in fact this is the whole point of national science week it's a initiative run by the australian government and it's an attempt to try and get science out of labs and into the hands of the general populace Unfortunately, an issue that science can have is because it can be so complicated, it can be really hard to communicate to people who aren't already in the field. And so we rely on strong science communicators like um, the past Dr. Pockley and the current Dr. Cox to spread word of science and make it accessible for other people to access. And it's not just uh, scientists who could be involved in science communication. The opening launch video for National Science Week was actually hosted by one aspiring science teacher slash international sports legend, Michael Hussey, who is, if you're not familiar, one of the uh, most famous Australian cricketers from recent years who just retired uh, and who played quite successfully for Australia for many, many years. But it took him a long time to actually get established in the Australian national team. Uh, and it was really looking quite dicey up there in his late 20s when he still hadn't actually got selection and he was strongly considering actually making the plans to finish off his studies and become a professional science teacher and teach that in the classroom and give up his dreams. Now, fortunately, both for Australia, um, sporting celebrity, but uh, probably less so for our, some very lucky science students who would have received his tutoring, he went on to become a sports star. But he's retired now and he's actually returning to his love, science. And he was very happy to open National Science Weeks with a series of launch videos because, as he was explaining, science is something that is useful, accessible, and important for everyone to love and understand. Even what you might consider normally as the mortal enemy of science, sport, is actually really something that they can be quite fascinated and passionate about. In fact, a lot of science is deeply entrenched in sport. There's a lot of work being done there. You know, I might have actually been interested a little bit in cricket if... I'd had a great science teacher who could introduce me to the, to the topic. Otherwise, you know, I've been sort of keeping my distance from any and all kinds of sport. And so that shows the power of science communication. To cross boundaries, cross cultures, and cross the divide and really get out there in the community. Now... When you say science, you don't generally associate with sport, as we just talked about, but you can see that science and sport have a lot in common. But another thing you don't generally associate science with is art, except, Millie, you were at a very fascinating gallery exhibit with some esteemed scientists. So tell us what was happening there. Well, as science and art is actually a lot more linked um, than just the band Art versus Science. During Science Week, I was at the National Centre for Synchrotron Science for the opening of the Illuminations Art Gallery. Now, Illuminations is a 
set of about 60 portraits done by the artist Andrew Bed, and they're all um, portraits of scientists from across Australia and a couple of places internationally as well. They're mostly Australian scientists. All the portraits are in grayscale. They've been done um, in a ink wash of the scientists standing forward with their eyes closed and their hands open out in front of them. And what Andrew Bed has done is he's then scanned these portraits, which he's done in about 20 minutes, um, and used digital media to insert a representation of each scientist's field. So a mathematician will have lots of formulas floating in radical colours above her hands. There was a um, someone who studied viruses had an image of a blood cell being pierced by a virus in their hands. And basically it's to try and show the link between the people who do science and what their actual fields of study is. And it's a gorgeous gallery. Um, the pictures cover a huge range of fields, everything from pure mathematics all the way um, out to biology via chemistry, um, ecology, and of course some, some physicists are in there as well. Now one of the people who had a portrait up in, up in the gallery, Dr. Brian Schmidt, who is known as a Nobel Prize winner who has adopted Australia somewhat as his home country for doing science in, was there. And he gave a, a really good talk about the importance of science communication and um, the importance of long-term funding of science um, in order to, to keep Australia innovating, as we have a long history of doing. Which is interesting, because usually it's innovation leading science forward, or science leading uh, art forward, because one of the first scientists that you think about, the legendary scientists like da Vinci, they're also actually artists. So they were using innovative science and medicine particularly to really understand not only perspective, which we all take for granted in the way optics works, but also the human body and anatomy. So Leonardo was not just an inventor, but he was also a, a basically a great anatomist in studying the human form and understanding muscles and the way that that makes up the body in order to be able to draw so beautifully. I think there's a lot to be said about the importance of creativity when it comes to science as well. Like you said, the Da Vinci was a great innovator, and all of our great scientists today probably wouldn't be able to make the progress that they do if they didn't have that spark of creativity to make the mental leaps between the data that they see and the theories that they have. Or think about weird combinations of things to yield new results, like silk from bees. So it really shows the power of creativity and the connections between art and science and the human mind's comprehensive ability to link them all together in engaging and interesting ways, much like science communication. So where can I see all these fantastic pieces of artwork, Millie? Well, the gallery is actually open to the public between 12pm and 4pm on a Friday, and will be, um, will be so until the start of November. So if you find yourself in the Clayton area, swing by the National Centre for Synchrotron Science, which is coincidentally right next door to the Great Australian Synchrotron, and go and take a look at the gallery. Science. There are a lot of fun activities happening for National Science Week across the country, and as we're based here in Melbourne, we're going to focus on a few of the fun things that were happening in Melbourne. Lauren was too busy recording and studying up for the podcast, but Millie was out there and about <laughs> at a few of the Science Week events. Well, like I said, I was at the Illuminations Gallery opening, but um, just on the final weekend of National Science Week, I was also at the Market of the Minds, which is a big sort of 
uh, set of marquees that is used to um, promote psychology and mental sciences to the public. In a fun and innovative and engaging way on a nice Friday evening. And it was set up on South Bank uh, next to the river near near the uh, casino and all the restaurant precinct and the theatres around there. So it was a lovely setup. And uh, was there a lot of people through? Yeah, a couple of thousand people went through the marquees, actually. It was a really popular event. Um, there were sort of four main displays. There was a, uh, a little tent that was used as a stage where there was a variety of um, scientific and musical performances being done by names such as the famous Chris K.P., there was a house of games where there were some carnival-style games that all had scientific twists that made them more difficult than usual to to win at. Um, there was a, uh, a centre where they were recording people's heartbeats and streaming them over to Tasmania where there were two musicians were then improvising music to the, to the heartbeats, which was really cool. That's amazing. That's a really nice combination of art and science right there. Exactly. Another combination of art and science was the the large ice sculpture that um, was created in the middle of the market. Now, that's really cool. Market. Oh, ho, ho. Um, and a lot of us were, were, were watching it and trying, trying to guess what the, the craftsmen were actually carving out of the ice. And it ended up being a really beautiful statue of a, of a swan on top of a brain. Wow. So it was like kind of like a Mr. Squiggle type of ice carving. That's, that's really quite cool. And the the final marquees were um, there was one that was focused on the current Australian um, Centre for Eye Research and their progress on the bionic eye. Now lo- they were there last year as well, and the progress that they've made in the last year alone has been really impressive to the point that they actually had the retinal implant that they that they use for the bionic eye they had one of those available to look at hopefully not to implant in people because i don't i doubt it would have been a surgical environment no it wasn't quite a sterile environment there on south bank but the implant was really cool to look at the way that the implant works is that some um the implant which is about the size of a five cent coin and is transparent a little bit silvery gets implanted between the layers of the retina um it broadcasts a signal of what it picks up to a pair of glasses that the person wears, which have a cord that connects to an implant in the brain, therefore allowing them to see basic sort of lights and images, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're going from absolutely no sight at all, it's really impressive. So it was great to see the progress that that project had made just in the last year. That sounds like a really interesting and engaging way of bringing cutting-edge science. And we've spoken quite a bit in the past about bionic eyes as well and the progress Australian scientists are making on that. It's really nice to see that accessibly for the public and they can get a feel and really understand. So it was great to see all the thousands of people coming through there. And if, if you missed out, don't worry. National Science Week comes around every August in the second week of August. So stay tuned and you'll be sure to find out more about it. But in the meantime, plenty of uh, science associations and societies run all kinds of talks and lectures and presentations or open days where you can go and see activities and research like this up close and personal. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we've dug into National Science Week, said farewell to one of Australia's greatest science communicators, looked at some of the innovative science and interactive exhibitions around Australia, and learned about science communication and its wide appeal. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.